I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me once again in the book of Joel. We will continue on in our series that we've been walking through. We'll pick up in Joel chapter 2, beginning in verse 18 this morning, walking through the end of chapter 2 in a message entitled, Mercy and Promise. As we get started this morning, how many of you enjoy waiting? Standing in the checkout line at Walmart, there is one line open, 37 and a half that aren't open. Nobody enjoys that. Maybe you're uh, like me, you want to talk to someone in customer service at times, and you dial the customer service number and the greeting comes up and it says, our menu options have changed. There's a reason their menu options are changed. They don't want you to talk to anybody. They want you to wait. Stay on the line. My favorite is you're on a road trip with your kids. And there's a lot of bad things that can happen on road trips. You have a flat tire. You run out of snacks. Run out of gas. But I think one of the worst things that can happen on a road trip is a simple four-word question. Are we there yet? None of us likes to wait. We don't want to wait on anything. And yet oftentimes what we see in Scripture is God calling His people to wait. God making promises to His people, but saying to them, it's going to take some time for this to unfold. As we've been looking in the book of Joel, we have considered what it looks like for God's people to turn away from him, for God to exercise his discipline, to call them back to himself, for the people to look and say, maybe it's not that big of a deal to turn and follow the Lord, and the Lord to ratchet up and say, if you don't, here's what's coming next, but I'm standing ready and willing to receive you back. I'm standing ready and willing to forgive you. And what we're going to see this morning is something that I think is absolutely beautiful in the text. And if you've experienced this in your life as a believer, you have experienced the beauty of what we're going to read about this morning as well. And that is when we turn back to the Lord, as we're going to see God's people do towards him here in Joel chapter 2, beginning in verse 18, we're going to see God's mercy and grace on display. We're going to see God's favor shine once again on his people, and we're going to see God make a promise to them that will be fulfilled in the future. So I want to read the text for us this morning, and then let's walk back through it together. Joel chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, behold, I am sending to you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied. And I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. I will remove the northerner far from you and drive him into a parched and desolate land, his vanguard into the eastern sea and his rear guard into the western sea. The stench and foul smell of him will rise, for he has done great things." Fear not, O land, 
Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Fear not, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green. The tree bears its fruit, the fig tree and the vine give their full yield. Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the latter rain as before. The threshing floor shall be full of grain, and the vats shall overflow with wine and oil. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is none else and my people shall never again be put to shame. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants, In those days I will pour out my spirit, and I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem... There shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see. You would open our ears that we would be able to hear. And that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. As we look at the text this morning, I want you to write down this main idea that will frame our time together, and it's this truth, God is always faithful to keep His promises, and this should drive us to worship Him. God is always faithful to keep His promises, and this should drive us, push us, prod us to worship Him. Don't forget where we are in the book of Joel at this point in time. Joel has unveiled for us all that God has been doing, and the nation of Judah at this point, these were God's people. They had turned away from following the Lord, and God in His wisdom and His mercy and His grace is doing everything He can to grab their attention. In the same way that a parent, when a child is walking in the wrong direction, is going to discipline them, is going to try to grab their attention, is going to try to turn them back to go the right direction, that's what the Lord has been doing in the book of Joel. In the first chapter, we saw that the Lord, in His wisdom and in His providence, had sent locusts into the land to devastate the land, that all of the crops, all of the grass that was on the ground, that the beasts of the field would have enjoyed for their food. All of that was wiped away. There was nothing left in Judah at this point in time. They 
had experienced God's judgment against their sin. But the Lord says, turn back to me. Come back home. Enjoy what it means to walk in relationship with me. Enjoy what it means to experience my blessing. God's promise to his people beginning with Abraham back in the book of Genesis is that he would create out of Abraham a great and mighty nation that if they would walk in obedience with him, he would bless them and he would use them as the conduit to transform the world through a savior who is coming. And his people had chosen to walk away from him. And God had sent his discipline in the locusts, and evidently it wasn't enough to grab their attention. I said last week, there's times, parents, for us that we look at our kids and we say, okay, evidently that's not enough. Let's ratchet this discipline up a little bit more. And God told his people through the prophet Joel that if you don't turn back to me, This invading army of locusts is going to be the least of your concerns. In fact, there is going to be an army that will come in with a scorched earth mentality and they will wipe you out and they will take you into captivity. But if you'll turn back to me, if you'll turn from your sin, if you'll walk in relationship with me once again, I will receive you back with open arms. I will forgive you. I will once again bless you. And we see the turn in verse 18 of chapter 2. We see that evidently God's people did that. Evidently God's people, instead of walking in disobedience to the Lord, chose to walk in obedience to Him, chose to turn, and instead of walking away from Him, to walk towards Him, to find themselves in the arms of their Heavenly Father once again. As we've walked through this text over the last number of weeks, I've said that this may be true in your life right now. You may be a follower of Jesus, and the reality in your life is you have turned, and in this moment, you are not walking with the Lord. And sometimes we have this mindset that we know we're walking through God's discipline. We know the things that are happening in our life is God's judgment against our sin, but we think, I can't come back now. I need to clean myself up before I come back. But the Lord says in his wisdom and his providence and his mercy, come home. Enjoy the forgiveness of your sins. Enjoy what Christ has made possible for you. You may have sat through two weeks now and you look and say, Pastor Michael, I I need to come home. I need to turn from my sin. I need to turn back to the Lord. I want you to notice what happens when Israel does that Beginning in verse 18, if you're taking notes, I want you to notice here the promise of God's mercy and grace on display in verses 18 through 27, and it's materially. God is going to bless his people materially at this point in time. Now, I want you to notice, as we walk through this, I told you week one, some of us have the mindset, and it's been portrayed in Christian culture, that God's primary aim is to bless you materially. And some of you are looking right now, and you're saying the red Ferrari didn't show up in the driveway this week. And the reason that may be is because God's primary aim is not simply to bless you materially. God often does that. God often gives us more than we deserve and more than we would ever need, but it's always with this objective to get our eyes focused on Him so that we would worship Him, 
so that we would look and recognize the blessing of the Lord in our lives is not something we should take for granted. In fact, it's something that should drive us to our knees, to our hands held high in worship of God. And so I want you to notice, beginning in verse 18, the Lord bless his people once again. This is the fulfillment of the promise that God has made to his people. If you will turn back to me, I will bless you once again. Notice beginning in verses 18 and 19, the Lord offers once again provision to the people. It says in verse 18, the Lord became jealous for his land. That is a righteous jealousy. God looks and says, these are my people. He had pity on his people. And the Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending to you. Notice what he says here, grain and wine and oil. Notice, and you will be satisfied. If you notice what happens here, the Lord is reversing what has previously taken place because of the locusts coming into the land and destroying all of the crops and all of the grass, all of the trees of the vine. There was nothing left. And the Lord says here, I am sending to you all of those things. The people have turned back to him and the Lord has fulfilled his promise for his people. That's what's coming. You will be satisfied. And I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. God here to his people says to them, I will provide everything that you need. Let me say this to you, believer. Oftentimes, we veer into sin in our lives as believers because we do not believe God will provide what we need. In our minds, we engineer things in such a way that we take on the role of God in our lives. God is the one who provides. We say, we know better than God. We can provide for ourselves. And in a Dr. Phil moment, the Lord looks at his people and goes, how's that working for you? That may be your moment right now where you've looked and you have ventured into sin in your life, and it's because of this very reason. You think you can provide for yourself better than God can. And right now, you're walking through difficulty and struggle, and you're looking and going, where did I go wrong? And that is where you went wrong. Trying to take the place of God in your life. Trying to provide for yourself when the Lord says, He is the one who will provide every need. In fact, when you look at the Lord's prayer, that is the prayer that Jesus says we as believers should pray daily, God, provide for me my daily bread. When's the last time you went shopping at the grocery store for your daily meal? Fill up a grocery cart, right? It's going to last a couple of weeks, or if you have teenagers in the home, three days, But here the Lord says, you've turned back to me, and I'm here to provide what you need. I want you to notice, not only does the Lord 
promise here, provision, but notice as well in verses 20 through 22, he offers them protection. Verse 20, I will remove the northerner far from you. I'll just be honest with you, church, this week I was thinking somebody's going to pray this prayer as we head into snowbird season. But I will remove the northerner far from you. What did the northerner represent for God's people at this point in time? It was the invading army that he said he was going to send if they did not turn from their sin. But here, I will remove the northerner far from you. I will drive him into a parched and desolate land. His vanguard into the eastern sea, his rear guard into the western sea. The stench and foul smell of him will rise for he has done great things. God's judgment no longer is on his own people, but he says here it is on this invading army he said was going to come. And then he says in verse 21, fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice. The Lord has done great things. Not only fear not land, but in verse 22, fear not beast of the field. For the pastures of the wilderness are green. The tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and the vine give their full yield. The Lord promises to his people as they are turning back to him, I will satisfy every need. I will provide for you. Not only that, I will protect you. And then in verses 23 through verse 27, I will restore you. Be glad, O children of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the latter rain as before. The threshing floors will be full of grain. The vats will overflow with wine and oil. Listen to verse 25. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. You notice what the Lord is doing here for his people? He's saying to his people, everything that you lost, I'm going to restore. I'm going to restore the years to you that you've lost. See, the reality is for us, if you're a follower of Jesus and you are walking in a season away from the Lord, you may look and see this moment in time and say, I have lost years in my life of walking with Jesus. You may experience God's judgment in your life and you're looking at that and you're saying in this moment right now, where does this end? And if I turn back to the Lord, I can't get back what I previously lost, but I want you to hear me this morning. God's promise to his people who will turn back to him is that he will restore the years that they've lost. God is a God of restoration. As we walk in obedience to him, hear me this morning. You may look and you say, Michael, listen, I have walked away from the Lord and I've experienced God's judgment against my sin as a believer and God is calling me back to himself and and I do want to turn back to him, but, but what about all that was lost or what about all that may be lost? I want you to hear me this morning. God is a God of restoration. God can restore what you think you have lost. 
God can restore your marriage that you think is lost. God can restore the relationship with your kids that you think is gone. God can restore to you materially things that you could never even imagine. You say, Michael, how do you know that that's the case? We see it play out in Scripture all the time. I think about Job, who God gave Satan the opportunity to test Job. And what did Satan go about doing? Satan took everything that Job had. Everything Job had financially, everything he had materially. He took even his kids. And in that moment, Job's wife says to him, just curse God and die. And Job says, not a chance. And it takes 38 chapters in Job's story of hearing from friends who really weren't friends after all, of hearing from his wife who really wasn't helping much after all. But in the end, what do we see take place? The Lord restores to Job above and beyond anything that Job could have imagined. You may say this morning, Pastor, there's a step that I need to take. Spiritually speaking, in my life, but it is going to cost me something to take that step. If we've learned anything, God calls you to walk in obedience to Him and makes this promise to you. He can restore anything that you may have lost. The question comes in, why does the Lord do this with His people? Why does God bless His people like this? If God's only intent and God's only interest in this is to bless His people so that they could have more, we'll have lost what God's intending to do in this passage. Why does he do that with his people? Well, as you looked, as we walked through, at every point, the Lord says, this is happening so that you will know who I am. This is happening so that you will look and bless me. This is happening so you will look and recognize that I am the Lord, your God. There is no one like me. It's meant to drive the people to worship. It's meant to drive them to a big picture view of who God is. It's meant to drive them to their knees with their hands up to say, we serve a God like none other. We serve a God who can do the impossible. We serve a God of miracles. We serve a God who is able to take you from where you used to be to where you should be. God who can take your life that is a mess and turn it into a message. In fact, here the Lord is trying to grab his people's attention, not just to focus on what he's blessed them with materially, but so that they would look and recognize who he is. Verse 26, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, listen, and praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never again be put to shame. Verse 27, you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, that I am the Lord your God. There is none else, and my people shall never again be put to shame. God's desire is for his people to know who he is. And I want you to notice 
beginning in verse 28 and through the rest of Joel chapter 2, that God's promise of mercy and grace that was on display materially in those first verses is going to be on display spiritually, beginning in verse 28. I want you to notice what Joel says. This is not in this immediate point, but this is looking down the portals of history into the future. And he says here in verse 28, it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions even on the male and female servants in those days. I will pour out my spirit. The Lord makes a promise through Joel as God's people have turned back to him, as they've experienced material blessing at this point in time, he calls their attention forward. God's plan for his people was to use them as the conduit that he would send the Savior into the world, that he would send his son Jesus. It would be through his people. And this in verse 28 and 29, interestingly, if you flip forward to Acts chapter 2 in your Bible, I want you to notice that Peter, on the day of Pentecost, as he is preaching to the people, I want you to notice his sermon begins in Acts chapter 2, verse 14, Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. He said, men of Judea, all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. But this, listen, is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And notice here, he quotes the verses at the end of chapter 2. In the last days... It shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. Peter says to the people who are gathered, who have just experienced tongues of fire come down, the Holy Spirit enable people to share the gospel of Jesus Christ into the languages of all the people who were gathered there on this day. 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Peter says, Joel talked about that. And as we look here, what we see is that verses 28 and 29, we see the fulfillment of that in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. Never lose sight of the fact that God always keeps his promise. But beginning in verse 30, Joel moves from future that we see fulfilled in Acts chapter 2 to future that is still yet to come. And he says in verse 30, I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. We've talked about this before, that the day of the Lord 
we see take place in the text in the book of Joel in a couple of different ways. The Lord says that the day of the Lord has come in God's judgment in chapter 1, but then he also says, making a promise to the people, if you don't turn, the day of the Lord is going to come in judgment as the army comes in and invade. But here we're looking future. We're looking towards the return of Christ. When Jesus returns to this earth, no longer as a baby in a manger, but as a conquering king, ready to set right all that is wrong in this world. We see the beginning of the inauguration of his kingdom in verses 28 and 29, but as he describes in verse 30, it's when it all comes to the end says there's going to be miraculous signs and wonders. The promise that's made in Scripture is that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Verse 32, shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Church family, we are living right now, looking and waiting and longing for Christ to return, looking and longing and waiting for him to come back and to set up his kingdom on this earth in all of its glory and all of its majesty. And as we wait, The Lord's promise to his people then, which is his promise to us now, is that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. Church family, that is why we exist. So that people that we interact with day in and day out through our week, we can share the hope we found in Jesus Christ. Why do we do that? Why do we do it with a sense of urgency? Because of the promise of God that he will send his son for the second time. And we look and we long and we wait for that day, but we don't do it with idle hands. We do it with an eye to the people that God has called us to live among, to share with the hope that can be found in Jesus Christ. I want to ask you if you'd bow your heads with me this morning. I want to give you an opportunity this morning to respond to the Lord and His Word. You may be a follower of Jesus this morning, and once again, the reminder for you is to turn from your sin and turn back to Jesus. You have an opportunity this morning to experience what the children of Israel here experienced as they turned from walking away from the Lord and turned back to walk in relationship with Him. They experienced God's blessing in their life. Maybe for you, that's the step that you need to take this morning. You may be here, though, and you've never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. And I want to remind you, as we've seen once again in the text this morning, there is a day coming when you will no longer have the opportunity presented before you 
to by faith trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. But you have that opportunity now. You have that opportunity now to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. His promise to you is that He will cleanse you of your sin, that He will adopt you into the family of God. For you this morning, that may be the step that you need to take. Father, we ask today that you would work in our hearts and our lives through your spirit that we would be reminded of who you are. And God, where we are experiencing right now in our lives as believers, your blessing, God, may we not take that for granted, but may it turn to worship. God, where there's a believer here this morning who is walking in sin, would you call them back to yourself? Would you give them the courage to run to you, to experience once again the blessing of walking with you? Father, if there's one here that's not trusted Jesus as their Savior, Would you create within them a sense of urgency? We have no idea when Christ will return, but we have an opportunity right now, every single one of us in this room, to prepare for that. Would you change hearts and lives today? For it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and sing in this time of invitation? You need to talk with one of our pastors. We'll be down front. Love to talk with you. I want to encourage you to respond to the Lord this morning.